Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Wednesday, February 22nd, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by political correspondent Tal Schneider and senior analyst Javier Retigor. Hello, good morning to you both. Hi, good morning. Hi, Jessica. It's another day of voting at the Knesset, and we'll talk about the override clause, more authority for the rabbinical courts and the Aryeh Dairy Bill, as well as who are the coalition forces radicalizing this judicial reform and preventing compromise. Before we jump into all of that, a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, Tal, let's get started with you. What is going to be happening at the Knesset today? Let's break it down. Let's start with the override clause. What are we going to be seeing on that issue? Right, Jessica. This is Wednesday, and this is the day of private bills voting. It's as in every Wednesday, instead of a governmental voting, we are starting today with private bills, which means they need to go through four readings, not just three readings, but four readings. So today we are we're having the preliminary reading, which means after that, if the bills will pass, they still will have to go through the process of free readings. So some of the private uh, bills that are brought in are part of this judicial overhaul, even when they're not brought in by the government. For example, um, MK Gaffney and you know some of the ultra-Orthodox MKs are bringing in the override clause. This is a huge, huge issue. Uh, as you may have heard, the Federation of the Northern America, former Ambassador Friedman, former Ambassador Shapiro, all went on record in the couple of, you know, last couple of days. I mean, I personally interviewed Mr. Friedman, who said the override clause is a big no-no. Uh, that was uh, his own words. With that bill, the Knesset will be able to override anything ruled by the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court will rule something that was not the likes of the uh, of the coalition, they need only 61 members of the Knesset to just override it. And that means basically that Israel's Supreme Court has no standing. People will not go to the Supreme Court to begin with because they know, you know, what's the point to write an appeal and pay 10,000 shekels or other, you know, you take hire a lawyer and go through the process that can, you know, can go on for a year, year and a half. If anyways, the, the, the coalition can just, you know, annul it. There is no point of, you know, there's no, it's actually the bill to cancel the Supreme Court of Israel. There's no other way to look at it. And when you look at the different aspects of all of those bills, one says that the Supreme Court cannot you know, uh, cancel a basic law. The other one says the government will appoint the judges. The third says uh, if, even if the judges agree on something, now there is a bill by Simcha Rotman that says that if they want to annul, you know, cancel a, a, a law, they need to do it by 15 judges, the entire panel of judges, 100% vote uh, for the judges. But the Knesset can override them in 50% plus one, the 61 uh, majority. So um, different kind of, of quorum, you know, 100% quorum for the Supreme Court, but then um, 50% plus one quorum for the for the Knesset. So that's one uh, big issue that is going to probably pass today. The ultra-Orthodox uh, component of this coalition said to the prime minister, if you don't put this bill to vote today, we are out of here. I mean, the coalition will not hold, will not stick if Netanyahu, I mean, they're holding him very, very tight. They will not agree to, to just, you know, pass, you know, pass by this, uh, opportunity. 
other bills that are, um, you know, private bills, as, as we said, that will be put on the tables um, for the Knesset to vote today is a bill to grant more powers to the rabbinic courts of Israel. In Israel, we have two, two kinds of courts. We have civil courts and rabbinic courts. Rabbinic courts up, up until today were an, allowed to deal with personal personal disputes only. Marriage and divorce. Morally, divorce, but also some some uh, heritage issue, um, uh, inheritance laws, and so on. But mostly, you know, probably ninety percent of the time they're dealing with divorce. And I think when they're dealing with divorce, it's only with the aspect of the divorce. It's not with the aspect of the money. The other bill that is very important that is going to be put forward today is the uh, um, enlargement of the authorities to the rabbinate's courts. You know, up until today, Jessica, rabbinate's courts were allowed to deal with divorce only and sometimes with inheritance laws and so on. But, you know, personal issues of the um, religious aspects of life. Now, with the new law, the rabbinate's court will be granted with the authority to serve as an arbitration uh, court, even for civil affairs. So if both sides agree to go to the rabbinic court, both sides to a civil dispute, like let's say neighbors dispute or a business dispute or um, husband and wife dispute over property, uh, they can go to the rabbinic court to have the, the Jewish law take effect. So, for example, if you have a just, you know, as I said, neighbors dispute, if both sides agree, you can go to the rabbinate court. Instead of to the civil courts. Exactly. Rabbinate court, we're not allowed to do this until today. Now, what is the big problem? You know, you may ask, you know, both sides agree, you know, what's the big deal? So first, you know, in a modern country, when you have the halakha, the Jewish law, make resolutions on, on civil disputes, it's just, you know, shocking by itself. But other than that, as we all know, there are no women judges in those courts. Women are not allowed to be judges in the rabbinate courts. Plus, you know, both sides agree. It's uh, sometimes, you know, outside the courts, you know, one kind of enforce on the other to agree to that. And then they both go into the court and the courts usually are not fair to women. I mean, usually it's, it's, it's a common knowledge in Israel. You don't want to go to the rabbinate court if you are a woman. And now if, um, if, if two sides of the dispute, one will be weaker than the other because of, you know, workforce uh, unfairness or just other kind of a pressure out, you know, neighbors that have a dispute and you're going to have like the the local rabbi putting some pressure. Yeah, yeah, go to the rabbinate courts and the rabbinate court will rule with Torah rulings. With Jewish law rulings. Exactly. Also, we have today the, the Dairy 2 uh, bill, another bill to make sure that Dairy, Arya Dairy, will be again a minister. Uh, you know that uh, Dairy was, um, you know, uh, dismissed by the high court uh, just uh, less than a month ago. Um, the high court ruled that he can no longer hold ministerial office because he was convicted twice and lied to the um, magistrate court about his intention not to to stay out of public life. Obviously, right, you know, a day after the rulings a year ago, he went back into public life. The Supreme Court ruled that he must be let go. And now they are planning another bill that the new bill will curtail Supreme Court's powers to tell the government anything about nominations. So... There is. This is another bill that will put the Supreme Court in a, in a position where they cannot do 
anything. These are first readings of these bills, correct? It's a prelimi- preliminary readings. It's even okay. before the first reading. And just to go back to something you had said earlier before we turn to Chaviv, you had mentioned that former U.S. Ambassador David Friedman had come out about the override clause. That's interesting. He actually gave a couple of interviews in the Israeli press on Saturday, on the, on the out of the Saturday, Saturday night uh, in Channel 12. And then on Monday, he participated in the camp, um, conference of the presidents uh, on stage. I was the uh, moderator of the panel with him and, and the former ambassador Shapiro. And I asked them about the judicial coup, the judicial overhaul. And David Friedman just said, you know, about nomination of the judges, he said this is an internal uh, Israeli issue. We are, I'm not going to uh, comment on that specifically because in the United States, they are very accustomed to the way judges are appointed by politicians. And he said, you know, he said it uh, on record. He said, you know, it's a, it's a bill that endangers the status of the Supreme Court of Israel. Thanks, Tal. We are going to take a quick break, and then we'll get back, and Chaviv will talk to us about an analysis of the coalition forces in the government right now on the issue of the judicial reform. Okay, Chaviv, so you've been looking at this and thinking about it, and what are you thinking about in terms of what is out there in terms of the coalition forces, in terms of the plan proposed judicial reform that is now being brought to the plenum. Who's out there and why is it unfolding in this manner? What are your thoughts about that? Jessica, we saw um, yesterday, right after it passed in the first reading, Netanyahu put out a fascinating statement, a video in which he calls on everyone to come to negotiate. He said negotiation is important. This is the time for the opposition to show leadership. We all have to sit down. And then over the course of the next few hours, Likud members of Knesset, one after the other, all came out with the same call. This is the time for the opposition to come to negotiate. There are probably six weeks until the passage of a final bill, and Netanyahu is really keen. He is broadcasting at full volume. He passed the provisions that he passed in the first reading yesterday. He proved that essentially he can, he has the numbers to pass anything he wants. And now he is coming to the negotiations from a position of strength. That is how he's broadcasting it and saying, hey, you can negotiate with me a better reform or live with, you know, live with this one. But I am, I am willing, I am eager, show responsibility, show leadership. Um, he's he's actually calling for what President, publicly, at least in his rhetoric, for what President Herzog called for, which is that a reform that would leave Israel not just not weaker and less democratic, but actually by reaching a middle ground would leave it stronger and more democratic than before. So, for example, this is the case for the opposition coming to the negotiating table at this stage. And it's a very strong and powerful case. And it's a case laid out by President Herzog. And it basically says... If we reach a compromise, for example, uh, the coalition wants more political influence in judicial appointments, but the current bills actually give it total control of judicial appointments, just literally the ruling majority government. And so the, co- the opposition can come in and say, okay, well, you know, there should be more political voice. That's the common rule in most democracies, but not total control. Uh, the override of Supreme Court, which even Ambassador Friedman uh, thinks is too much, um, an override uh, of the Supreme Court, if it if it is passed, shouldn't be a simple majority of 61 seats, which every ruling government has. But in fact, 
a much larger majority, 70, 80, something that requires the coalition to reach across the aisle. Uh, don't cancel the reasonableness test, right? Which the coalition wants to cancel the ability of judges to over, to throw out laws uh, using reasonableness. But you can limit reasonableness to questions of cabinet appointments or political agreements or other p- places where it really is a little bit unusual for a court to use reasonableness. And so argues Herzog, and Netanyahu is now trying to attach his, his wagon to that argument, um, argues Herzog, if we reach a middle ground then we have weakened the court, but haven't haven't neutered the court as a major check on the system. And we've actually created more checks along the way. In other words, we are more democratic. If we don't reach a middle ground, if either side wins, says Herzog, we both lose. And Netanyahu has now whole, wholly adopted that as his, as his frame and as his argument. The court uh, is too powerful. The right now proposes essentially sweeping it away entirely as a check on the system. But a middle ground actually introduces more checks. That's the concept. There's just one problem with this concept. And it tells us what Netanyahu is actually doing. And that problem is that his own coalition won't let him compromise. And here I'm drawing from fascinating analysis by a Channel 12 analyst uh, named Daphne Liel, who pointed out uh, a couple of days ago that every single party in the coalition... Every single party in the coalition actually has a different um, aspect of this reform that it cannot let go of. So, in other words, the the problem with the reform isn't any every specific argument that they want to make, every specific change that they want to pass, arguably is a good change or a reasonable change or a change we can talk about. But the whole almost completely neuters the Supreme Court. And so the, 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 the problem with with removing, for example, the reasonableness test, believing the judicial appointments change, is that each different party in the coalition wants a different piece, and each one is willing to compromise only on the pieces that the other one thinks are absolutely necessary. I'll give you an example. Conservatives like uh, Knesset Law and Constitution uh, Committee Chairman Sibha Rothman or Justice Minister Yariv Levine, the two drivers of this reform, they're focused primarily on judicial appointments. They, uh, if they cancel reasonableness as a judicial test, judges will just use proportionality as a, as a judicial. In other words, you can't, if you have an activist judge, you can't limit them by removing one semantic mechanism for, for throwing out some law. You need to appoint conservative judges. Okay, once the court is more representative, ethnically representative, religiously, uh, you don't need an override. And we've actually seen advocates of this reform, including the uh, chairman of the board of, of, of the Kohelet Policy Forum, a conservative think tank that helped develop this reform, actually write op-eds recently in which they argue, hey, let's throw out the override as part of our, comp- right? You, you just need to focus for conservatives. It's all about judicial appointments. And they can compromise on the other stuff. And that question of appointments is make or break for Likud, for religious Zionism. But they have a problem. The ultra-Orthodox parties don't care about appointments. They care about, for example, the draft. Conservative judges and liberal judges are just as likely to worry about uh, the lack of equality in the mandatory draft. And the mandatory draft of Haredim is the make or break issue for Haredim. And therefore, they demand an override because they can, and a very low override of 61, they can summon 
61 votes in any coalition they're a part of by making it a condition for the coalition's survival. They can't appoint judges to the Supreme Court. There actually was an attempt to appoint, to appoint an ultra-Orthodox judge to the court, uh, actually backed by Aaron Barak in the 90s, and the greatest religious leader of the time in the Haredi community, Rav Yashiv, ruled it out. He said, no, Haredim do not sit in secular courts and use civil law and, and judge by civil law. And so the Haredim don't feel they'll ever be represented in the Supreme Court, and therefore they need the override. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there, but as you pass through each faction and as you pass through each piece of the reform, Netanyahu is, has a huge, a huge problem. Um, each, each element that each one of these different factions demands, they have to have. The override was the Haredi condition for entering the coalition. If it's not there, they leave. Yariv Levin has threatened to resign, causing Netanyahu huge problems with the base, really, I mean, desperate problems with the base, if he doesn't get massive fundamental change in the judicial appointments process. Every part of the coalition needs the part that the other parts can compromise on. And so Netanyahu doesn't just need the opposition to negotiate because he is eager to reach a stronger and better democracy through reaching a middle ground that builds new checks and all of the kind of stuff that Herzog is calling for. He needs the opposition to rescue him from the trap his own coalition has him in, from that vise. Um, he, 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 he can't push the compromise himself because any compromise he pushes violates the fundamental demand of one or other pieces of his coalition and risks his coalition starting to fall apart. And as Netanyahu asks for the coalition to leap into a negotiating process, force his hand so he can blame someone else when the Haredim discover the override is gone or some something like that, he's discovering the classic old problem Netanyahu has had that drove us to five elections in 43 months, which is trust. Yair Lapid's answer yesterday was a tweet in which he said, no tricks, no shticks. If you stop if you stop for some limited period the the legislation process, we will come negotiate. But to negotiate with a gun to our heads is not something we're going to do. No tricks and no sticks, every Israeli remembers, is Netanyahu's promise to Benny Gantz two years ago. Uh, there will be no tricks and no sticks. I will definitely keep to the uh, to the uh, rotation agreement, and Benny Gantz will definitely be prime minister. I promise it. I'm changing Israel's constitutional laws to make it possible, I swear it on my on every oath I can. And then, of course, he lied and then didn't didn't do it. It's the same old problem of trust. Netanyahu doesn't have it, and now he's fundamentally changing our constitutional order without it. And he himself is unable to deliver a reform he himself claims he wants because nobody can trust him to enter into the negotiation process. Uh, w while he finds himself in a trap that is rushing us headlong into a reform that is that is exactly as bad as its critics say, and its critics include people inside the coalition, including some of the architects of the reform itself. Fascinating stuff, both of you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and ideas on The Daily Briefing. We will be back tomorrow with another Daily Briefing. In the meantime, thanks again. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jessica. Wishing everyone a good listen and a good day. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.